0: Good morning, good morning, it's so nice to see you, thank you for joining us, a little bit of business, there's a gold mercury grand marquee with their window down and it's raining. Nobody's rushing out, okay, well good morning, I'm Brenda Tennell, I serve as the adult ministries coordinator here at Windsor Road. I'd like to thank you for coming today Last night we heard a lot of powerful and practical information And there's much more to come I'd like to share um, a little bit with you About um, my experience and my husband's experience With the DNA of relationships material God has used this material in a powerful way in our life There was a long season in our marriage when things were really hard. We found ourselves often thinking divorce was our only option. We had been in counseling for years, and we're not seeing any real improvement. In our hearts, we really didn't want uh, a divorce. Uh, We didn't want to end our marriage. We just wanted things to be better, and we didn't know how to make that happen and we felt hopeless. One day, I stumbled upon the DNA of Relationship book and began to dig into it. I was reading concepts that I'd never heard before, and God began to work in my heart. We then attended a DNA conference in Normal, and we continued our counseling. It became, it became clear that God was working in both of us, and things began to change and improve. We agreed to never talk about divorce again. It was not an option for us. Breathe. Sir <laughs> Randy says, breathe. We wanted to break the divorce cycle in our family and to show our children that you can, with hard work, save your marriage. It's not easy, but it is possible. In February, we will celebrate our 30th anniversary. (laughs) And last December, we learned that we're going to be grandparents. And and because we did the hard work and we stayed together, we now get to welcome our first granddaughter together. So, attending, all glory to God, boasting in the Lord, attending this conference is only a start. Let me encourage you to invest $10 in one of those books out there at the table, It will continue your learning process of understanding yourself and those you love. Ten dollars. Ten dollars. For some, like us, um, you may need to continue with counseling. Inside your workbook, we've included a list of counselors that the Windsor Road staff has put together, people that we know and recommend. Please don't let things end here today. This is just a start. We also have um, with us today a prayer team that's wearing a name tag that says prayer team on it, and they are here to pray for you. So please take them up on that. Walk up to them. Tell them, I need prayer. They would love to pray with you. And so speaking of prayer, let's do it, okay? Father God, we rejoice in this day. It is a gift from you. And we're so thankful, God, that you have called each one of us here and that you have something for each one of us. And I pray, Lord God, that you would open our ears, open our hearts to receive what it is that you do have for us. We uh, don't want this to just be one more conference that we check off our list and we say, well, I've done that. We really want you to work in our hearts in our lives, and in our marriages. I pray for Bob Burby and Bob Paul as they continue to present. Lord, may your word through them go forth with power. And uh, so we commit this to you, Lord God, and I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so Bob Burby is up.
1: All right. Thank you so much, Pastor Brenda. I love stories like that, don't you? Oh man. Um, Bob and I have this just amazing privilege to sit with couples and uh, be a part of stories, just like Pastor Brenda shared um, and uh, i just I just counted a deep uh, deep privilege to be a part of someone's story in in uh, in some small way uh, like that so yeah if you identify with her testimony and let me just encourage you that God is able God is here he is ready um, uh, love is not for cowards is it uh, it takes courage to love uh, and uh, loving is the is our highest calling It it's it's what most connects us to the divine nature imparted to us uh, through creation. And, um, I wanna, uh, I'm going to share a song with you here in a moment. Maybe the first and last time you hear a psychologist sing a song. <laughs> uh, I'm not the only one. There are other psychologists who play music and sing, um, but it, just, there just aren't a lot of us around to do that. Um, before I do, though, just a couple of things to remind you of uh, business details. Uh, be sure and fill out uh, that form for a uh, free drawing later. Uh, also, uh, if uh, you'd like to be uh, considered for a, a free uh, admission to a retreat at our facility in Branson, uh, please follow the directions. Uh, go to our website, nationalmarriage.com, and sign up for our, our electronic newsletter. Um, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, or do a tweet, hashtag DNA champagne. Any of those four things will get you uh, in the running for a, a, a free admission to a weekend retreat. Okay, let's see. Do we have some folks that like to sing? Anybody like to sing? Okay, I'd like to teach you a song. Um, As a therapist, sitting uh, sitting with folks who are trying to untangle uh, the knot that their lives and marriages have become has been. It's just a constant source of inspiration as a songwriter, and uh, this song is one of many that um, uh, I've written kind of related to the work that I get to do with couples, and it's someone that you can join me with uh, on the course. Let me teach you the course. It goes like this. How deep is your heart? Does anyone know? Hold the limit of love, how far can it go, can you open your arms, can you give love a chance, when you're ready to try, love a hold of the light, how deep is your heart, ready to try it, how deep is your heart. How deep is your heart? Does anyone know? Oh, the limit of love. How far does it go? Can you open your arms? Can you open your arms? Can you give love a chance? Can you give love a chance? When you're ready to try, When you're ready to try Love will hold up the light How deep is your heart Well I see your tears The way you hang your head Oh your hope for love Has come to an end No one would blame for being afraid Would you dare to believe Oh, there's more mystery How deep is your heart Here we go How deep is your heart Does anyone know Does anyone know Oh, the limit of love How far does it go Can you open your arms, can you give love a chance, when you're ready to try, love will hold up the light, how deep is your heart. This is the waltz break. Walls so you can sway. There we go. Fear binds up the heart. Shuts out the You begin to believe things will never be right then love comes along and unties the knot the change will begin, turn a corner and then how deep is your heart? Help me out now how deep is your heart? Does anyone know, oh, the limit of love, how far does it go, in your arms, can you give love a chance, when you're ready to try, love a hold of the light, how deep is your heart, Open your heart can you give love a chance, when you're ready to try, love will hold up the light, how deep is your heart? Thank you how deep is your heart? Yeah, love is not for cowards. It takes courage to love. But God is with us. God is able to strengthen and empower and equip us to love the way he would love. Um, okay, this session, I happen to believe may be uh, the most, uh, I shouldn't say the most significant session we're going to teach. Yeah, that probably wouldn't be accurate. But what I love about this principle that we're going to look at these next few minutes is uh, I don't need any help from Mary Joe to apply this principle to our marriage because this principle is all about me and I am in complete control to, with Uh, over the degree to which I leverage and apply the principle of personal responsibility to my marriage and what I want uh, in my marriage. See, everybody wants their marriage to be the best that it can possibly be. Uh, But um, the place that uh, we often want to start is uh, how to get our spouse to be different. It's just so obvious if Mary Jo would stop this start that, things would be great, right? Uh, and, uh, and so if, if you identify with that, you can uh, turn to your, to your partner, uh, shake your finger and say, you really need to pay attention to this session, right? <laughs> All right. So please, you really need to pay attention to this one, uh, which is, yeah, just contradicted what I said, right? We want to make it about them and fail to recognize what is in our own power and possibility. The most important responsibility in marriage is meeting each other's needs. This is a popular idea. We would suggest, though, that that's a myth. If I could get my spouse to change a few key things, my marriage would be great. Again, a popular myth. And people spend enormous amounts of energy trying to get their spouse to be different. Some of us approach our marriage like it was uh, like a home improvement project, and our spouse is our number one project. And people spend a lifetime trying to get their spouse to be different than they are. It's so much wasted energy. I'm going to show you how to take that same energy and apply it in ways that can really make a difference in your relationship. Few things are more frustrating or dishonoring than trying to change your spouse. Success, satisfaction, and empowerment in marriage are directly tied to personal responsibility. Um, Now, I have to, and some of you may already be here, but I have to say this principle is not very popular. This principle is not what most of us want to put our energy. Um, But I want to just invite you to notice something. When you make the problems or the difficulties in your relationship, when you assign the cause of the difficulties or the challenges to your spouse, and the solution is held by your spouse, what does that do to me? If Mary Jo is the cause of the problem, and Mary Jo holds the solution to the problem— What does that do to me? It, in effect, makes me helpless, makes me powerless. Because the problems are caused by her, and she holds the solution. And effectively, what happens is I I kind of settle in this place. I call it the victim throne, right? And I'm in this place, and... Well, I didn't cause this mess and you're the one who's going to control whether it gets better. And I have this illusion of security because I'm not responsible. After all, you caused it and you control the solution. But I'm trading my freedom, my power for being right. Sadly, I I have to admit, many times I'd rather be right than free. You following me? I'd rather be right than free. Ah, It takes, and and what, so as I settle into this victim place, it's like these vines grow up over my legs and my arms, and I can't move, and I'm trapped in this throne. The only thing that can move is my mouth, and my mouth is just, you know, giving direction, and judgment, and Complaining and criticism, because you caused it and you control the solution, and all that energy just—it's flat. It's impotent. It doesn't go anywhere. Um, there is a better way. There is an alternative. Um, notice the 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 uh, the doorway to intimacy that we're that Bob introduced last night in his in his session, is safety. When people have confidence about being safe, being open is the most natural posture of all. And once open, vulnerable intimacy can happen. Vulnerability, openness don't guarantee intimacy, but if there's not openness and vulnerability, there's not gonna be any intimacy. And what makes openness, vulnerability possible? Safety. So, in our team, in our work with couples who are in severe distress, we have seen over and over and over again that safety is the threshold to where people want to go. The fear cycle or fear dance is this ugly, painful place that's just dangerous and full of disappointment and hurt, and we don't know how to get from there over to intimacy, what we experience over and over with the couples that we work with, what I'm living and learning in my own relationship is if I can establish and cultivate, nurture safety for me, for Mary Jo, for our relationship, then, then the good stuff that I'm looking for, that I want, is just around the corner. Safety is that threshold. My taking responsibility for Bob is critical to moving into that doorway. Think of it this way. At any given moment, a marriage has three parallel journeys going on. It's kind of like going on a road trip. Anybody here like road trips? You know, pack up, you get your snacks, you got, you know, hours in the car. Road trip! You're going on a road trip. Well, If you've been on a road trip with a group of friends or with your family, uh, and then months later or years later, people tell the stories of the trip. Remember when we drove to New Orleans? Or remember that road trip we took to Washington, D.C.? Have you ever noticed how everybody has a different version of that road trip? (coughs) Excuse me. You can have, you know, two or more people in the same car, traveling the same route, but they all experience a different journey, don't they? Being in the same vehicle doesn't equate to having the same experience. Marriage is no different. So at any given moment in my, in my marriage, there is my journey, the journey that I'm pursuing and that I'm walking, the journey that Mary Joe is pursuing and walking, and then the journey that we're doing together, like that road trip. We're going to some, we're going to go to the Grand Canyon. We're doing a road trip to the Grand Canyon. That's, that's where we're going together, but at the same time, she has an experience from the passenger side, or from the back seat, or if she's driving. I have my experience. You know, I may have been asleep in the back seat, while she saw something, some amazing sunrise or sunset, that was her journey, wasn't mine. I was snoozing in the back seat. But we are going to the Grand Canyon. Marriage is a lot like that. This session is about accepting the job for my journey. Taking and embracing the responsibility that God has given me to be the steward of this temple. Bob... Um, Uh, uh, referred to the Proverbs passage, uh, Proverbs 4.23, we quote this verse often in our work with couples. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. That's above all else. That's like job one is my health, my integrity. Who am I? Am I becoming that person that God created me to be? Who is that guy that God had in mind when he knit me together in my mother's womb? Who's the woman that God had in mind when he knit you together in your mother's womb? Who is that person? Life for me is very much a, a journey of trying to figure out who that is, so that by the time I reach eternity, I'm prepared and ready to go to whatever God has in store for me after I finish this temporal existence. Who is that person God created me to be? That's not Mary Joe's job. Wasn't even my parents' job, although they had it for a little while. Right now, it's my job. I'm the only one who can shoulder that responsibility. 100% mine. Um, so I like to call this the best marriage advice that no one wants to hear. <laughs> yeah. And we can, uh, th- this, is a, this is a part of this presentation that's not in your workbook. So if you don't see it in your workbook, don't panic. Uh, this would be something to put in, uh, uh, to take notes on. The best marriage advice that no one wants to hear. By this point, as I'm introducing the principle of personal responsibility, you can probably begin to appreciate why folks are resistant to this idea. Our eyeballs go this way, so we recognize the fault, the sin, the failure, the limitations that our partner has far more easily than we recognize our own responsibility, our own contribution to the difficulties. To look inward takes a step of courage it takes a commitment it takes discipline i only look inward by doing that with intention consciously my eyeballs see mary jo and you know the fact that she didn't brush her hair the way i like or that she's you know her she's using a tone of voice i don't like and so any sort of discomfort i have i my eyeballs recognize her contribution first um, but The problem is, even when I'm right about how off kilter she is, I don't have any real power to make her do anything, do I? I mean, how much power do I really have to make her think a certain way, believe a certain thing, feel a certain way, or behave a certain way? Any power I have is power that she lets me have. I don't own that, and yet I can spend, again, inordinate amounts of energy trying to get there. I'm responsible for my thoughts, beliefs, feelings, and behavior. That's where the boundary is that defines my yard, okay? This is what I'm in control of. My thoughts, what I believe, my feelings, and my behavior. If that's true, then the second statement of this principle makes sense. If I'm responsible for my stuff, the stuff that's in my yard, then I'm not responsible for your thoughts, beliefs, feelings, and behavior. That defines where my yard ends and Mary Jo's yard begins. But if this stool is going to be able to stand up, it needs a third leg. A two-legged stool isn't going to stand up. It needs a third leg to stand up. This principle needs a third uh, third statement to stand up. Because while this defines where the boundary is around me and Mary Jo, it it doesn't articulate what kind of the dynamic that goes on when in a marriage, an intimate relationship like marriage, we weave our lives around each other. So... It's important to acknowledge that in relationship, we influence each other's thoughts, beliefs, feelings, and behavior. We don't determine each other. It's that, that, that fine differentiation between recognizing that what Mary Jo is thinking, believing, feeling, and doing, and it does have consequences for me. It does influence me. But that's not the same thing as controlling me right? That's, that's not the same thing as her being responsible for me. Likewise, my thoughts, beliefs, feelings, and behavior are going to impact her, influence her, but that's not the same thing as being responsible for her. Um, here's an analogy that, that kind of helps me uh, keep this uh, uh, in perspective. If I'm driving along the street And somebody runs a stoplight and T-bones my car, (sniffs) okay? Well, they, quote-unquote, caused the accident, right? I'm just driving along, light's green, I go through. They run a red light, boom, run into my car. Um, Who's going to call the tow truck to get my car taken to the body shop? Who's going to call my insurance company to let them know that I've been in an accident? Who's going to look at the work that the body shop does to my car to make sure it was repaired properly? If the the person that ran into me doesn't have insurance, whose insurance is, even though it wasn't, quote, my fault, who's going to be responsible to take care of my car? I am. I am. So Mary Jo will do stuff. She'll say stuff. She thinks things that create consequences for me. But that's not the same thing as her being responsible for me. I'm still in charge of Bob. My health, my integrity is not her responsibility. It's my responsibility. Like that that car that I'm driving. It's my car. I'm responsible for it. If, if I just leave it in the middle of the intersection and walk home, who are the police going to go after to get that car out of the road? They're not going to go after the person who ran into me. They're going to come after me because it's my car. Yeah. Well, I didn't do it, right? How, 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 that, doesn't, that doesn't get me anywhere. I don't escape that responsibility. So this starts to define where one of us ends and the other begins. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, Romans 12, 18. Galatians 6, 5, for each one should carry his own load. Oh, this is my favorite. See, Jesus is really the author of this, this principle. It's been picked up by psychologists and mental health experts for, for a long time, but Jesus really articulated you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Take care of me. Uh, I, I have to, uh, uh, one, of our, one of our colleagues, uh, one of the women on our team, the therapist, gifted therapist, Cindy Irwin, had a, had a particularly poignant view on this passage. If you think about Having a speck of dust in your eye, it's a pretty painful thing. If you've ever had something kind of caught in your eye and you couldn't get out, it's very irritating. It pretty much consumes your focus and attention. You become preoccupied with it until you clear whatever it is that's in your eye. Imagine for a moment that you've got a rough sawn piece of lumber extending from your eye. You know, I've often read this passage and thought of it as Jesus having compassion for the poor person with the speck in their eye. Uh, But Cindy took a little different angle on it. And she said, maybe this is as much an expression of concern for the person with the plank as it is for the person with the speck. Because if I've got a plank jutting out of my eye, that would be excruciatingly painful. We might paraphrase this passage Is Jesus saying, dude, you got a plank in your eye. <laughs> like, can we care about that for just a moment? That has got to be killing you. Can we, like, can we do something about that? Can we just stop everything and take care of how bad you're hurting? And once we get that taken care of, then if you want to be helpful to someone else, by all means do so, but you're in pain. Let's care about that. See? There's an affirmation here in, in, in these other passages of this responsibility to care for this temple, to be responsible, to be a steward of the life that God has given me. Reinhold Niebuhr uh, penned these words many years ago. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. This is essentially the um, applying that this principle of personal responsibility. So how does this work? Well, the part of this uh, this fear cycle that I'm in control of, that I have responsibility for, is my buttons and my reactions. That's my yard. When you look at your fear cycle map, if you fill that out on page 14, you draw a line down diagonally down through the middle. That'll help you clarify kind of what is your yard and what is your spouse's yard. Um, some of us behave in our marriages like rude neighbors. I mean, imagine some Saturday morning, you get up, go into the kitchen to have your morning coffee. You look out the back window of your kitchen, and there in your backyard is your neighbor with a backhoe, the fences tore down, there are potted trees and a pile of gravel, and he's digging holes in your backyard. Your favorite rose bushes have been pulled up, right? And you go, you go out in the backyard and you say, what are you doing? What are you do? And he says, hey, neighbor, isn't this great? I just saw that your yard needed some sprucing up a little bit. So I got my back on. I'm in here and those rose bushes were terrible. So I yanked those out. We're going to put in these oak trees. And I mean, you would call the police, right? I mean, you would feel so violated if your neighbor did that in your backyard, I, sadly, I have done that with Mary Jo so many times. Just assume that because I'm her husband, I have this right, I'm entitled to just climb that fence, go into her yard and start mucking around with no invitation, no regard or respect for her value, for her vulnerability. Yikes! Boy, when I see it in that frame... Lord, forgive me. Mary Jo, please forgive me. I've had to ask forgiveness from her so many times. Uh, again, my temperament, kind of intense. Over at the top, like to do things big, so I can just climb over that fence. Mary Jo, this is going to be great. We're going to do this, this, and, and she's like, I don't want to do that. Well, what's wrong with you? Of course you want to do that. I want to do it. You must want to do it, <laughs> Right? I'm just dominating the relationship, not having respect and regard that she is a whole person in her own right. And any access she gives to me is a gift. It's not something I'm entitled to. I got to fix. I got to look at me. So what do I want to do? When my buttons get pushed, the first thing that I want to do is I want to create some space. Like, take a time out. When I realize that I'm getting stirred up, instead of pursuing Mary Jo at that point, I want to pull back a little bit, do some introspection. What's going on? What, what, am, I, what am I feeling? What's going on in my heart? What are the buttons that just got pushed? Following that, then I want to take those emotions to the Lord. As, uh, as Christians, we have this just... Uh, Amazing privilege that the creator of the universe is standing by in every situation ever present with me never leave me or forsake me and when I'm scared when those buttons get pushed I have the opportunity the privilege of bringing that to God sadly I've been more inclined to want to take that to Mary Jo would you stop this would you start that so that I feel better We're recommending to folks, learn how to take responsibility for yourself, create some space, figure out what you're feeling. Take that to the Lord first. Go to the Lord first. Then ask yourself, what do I want right now? What am I longing for? What do I desire? If I can identify what it is that I'm really longing for and desire then I'm more likely to be able to find responses ways to respond that will give me a chance for what I want and also increase my integrity allow me to be that person that God wanted me to be and in that way I I'm good regardless of how Mary Joe Reacts regardless of how Mary Jo responds, whether she gets it or doesn't get it, I'm still good with me because my health, my integrity, doesn't depend on her. It's she's not in control of it. I'm responsible for it. Um, creating space so that I can identify what I'm feeling, take those. Emotions take that pain, that anxiety to the Lord, then ask myself, what do I really want? How do I be, who's the guy that I want to be right now? And then respond in ways that give me a chance to be that guy, to have what I want. This principle, if you will embrace this and begin to leverage this, you will be amazed at what it does to your marriage. Um, I have felt hurt. I have felt stuck. When I go to personal responsibility, I've always seen something that is in my reach, something available to me that I know can make a difference, can take me in a positive direction and give me and our marriage a chance for, for something positive. Now I can respond with being patient, kind, gracious, forgiving, trusting. That's all the stuff. Those are the qualities of the guy that I want to be. How do I get that? I don't get that with Mary Jo changing. Oh, I can't be humble because Mary Jo builds me up too much. It's Mary Jo's fault that that I don't forgive her because... uh, she, uh, she's not guilty enough. You know, she hasn't been punished enough, so I can't forgive her. Or I can't give because she hasn't given to me first. You see how empty those rationalizations are? It makes who I am dependent on her, and I'm basically given away my power. This is stuff that I'm in control of. These are qualities that this is between me and Jesus, how I'd be this guy. When I embrace personal responsibility, I find my power, I become free, I break out of those vines, I raise up out of the victim throne, and I become the fully functioning adult that God intends me to be. And I can know peace, even if Mary Jo is struggling, inappropriate, doing stuff that that isn't good for her or our relationship, I still get to be in charge of me. Personal responsibility. We'll see some other ways to apply this principle as we go through uh, uh, go through the morning. We're going to take a a short break. Uh, We'll we'll take a longer break after Bob's uh, session next on um, caring for yourself, which is all about applying personal responsibility to growing you to be that person that God created you to be healthy and full of integrity. So let's, uh, about five minutes, uh, take a quick bathroom break if you need to, five, ten minutes, and then we'll continue.